The Grappling Hour is brought to you by No Gi BJJ Gear. Use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15 to save 15% off of whatever you put in your cart. And Dodgy Collected. Dodgy Collected. Creating jiu-jitsu gear for those who love to train after a hard day's work and for those who live the jiu-jitsu lifestyle from their mom's couch. That's actually what it says. I'm reading it verbatim. Anyway, go buy from them. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcast for Rafa Sparza coming to you live. Actually, no, it's not live. Just kidding. I am coming to you with a taped segment because guess what? Raf's got to go back to work. And when that happens, we bring you good content, just time shifted. You watch this at your own convenience anyway. We have a wonderful guest here. We'll get to him in a second. But before we go on, I want to give some love to our sponsors. First and foremost, our good friends over at Nogi BJJ Gear. If you use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15, you take, what's that, 15% off of whatever you put in your cart. And let me tell you this right now. If you are so smart to take advantage of that sort of a thing, I'm looking for the convenient uh, product. I didn't leave it here. All right. But just know there's a really cool Eddie Guerrero t-shirt that I normally would promote. I'm just not going to pull it out because normally it's it's not here. They call it the swap out in, uh, in television terms, but oops. All right. Well, screw me. Anyway, also give some love to our friends over at dodgycollective.com. They are amazing individuals. They have amazing rash guards, artwork, you name it. Go buy from them, dodgycollective.com. All right, our guest here today. This gentleman has been making waves for a little bit, and I've caught some of his matches here and there, but he really got a showcase in the form of Brandon McCatherine's PGF, known as the Professional Grappling Federation. And when I saw Brandon was putting this together, I thought, hmm, well, that sounds interesting. My second thought was, how many weeks is this going? And how many times are these guys coming back week after week? I mean, I love the ambition of it, but for him to put this on and have rankings and very, very fun matches, it really made me proud that during uh, the coronavirus times, we saw ingenuity and a true entrepreneurship. But as we get back to our guest, not only is he crushing it there, becoming the inaugural winner of the competition, but he also crushed it over this past weekend over at the Sapatero Invitational so why don't we bring on, for the very first time here, making his Grappling Hour debut, one, Elijah Carlton. Elijah, how are you doing, sir? Good, man. How are you, Raph? Very well. It is a pleasure to meet you, young man. How did Brandon talk you into doing this? <laughs> Brandon didn't talk me into doing that at all. The first day I seen him post it, I said, I'm taking all of that fucking money. So when did you see it go up? And and you mentioned that you were very quick to act, but I mean, this is a very long endeavor. So you got to figure that you see it pop up and then you're committed to this for a good while. Yeah, absolutely, man. I knew I had to commit. Um, I knew I committed the second I said I was in. I'm about like two hours and 15 minutes from BMAC and BMAC's been one of my boys for a long time. Um, he's really one of my coaches, him and Sean Applegate are two of my main coaches. And uh, as soon as he hit me up about it, I was like, yeah, man, I'm in. Two and a half hours, nothing. (laughs) So how are you passing the time during the two and a half hours? Because I'll tell you this much, dude. I'm not a major competitor like you, but if somebody tells me to go compete, I got to drive three hours. uh, It's not going to happen here, man. Uh, L.A. traffic ain't great. Even even just like a one way, like just a one time thing. You're not going to drive three hours. That could just be like 15 miles down the road for you. Bro, yeah, number one, no kidding. And number two, uh, I got to tell you, man, the idea of showing up somewhere, I'm more about convenience where I'm like, are you here right now? Because I got 20 minutes that we can do this. If you're not here right now, I got other shit I got to do. Yeah, man. I uh, I don't think um, you you have your, like, your individuals who are, like, rare specimens and stuff that are like, oh, competing doesn't get to me. 
you know, like, uh, I don't, I don't even think about it. Yeah. There's a few of those, but most people are lying when they say, um, I don't go out there with any nerves or I didn't think about this for the last day. You know? Yeah. That's a long, it's, it might just be two and a half hours, but that's a long two and a half hours, man. You're just thinking, um, when I show up to a tournament, like when I pull up there, I'd rather like slap bump when I, when I hopped out of my car and just like started, you know, the more I'm sitting there, the more I'm just thinking about it and it's just building up. And I'm like, what if this white belt submits me? What if, what if I get caught slipping in this wire, this blue belt just fucks me up, you know? Those things get to you for sure. Absolutely. But you're not putting on podcasts like you don't got some Joe Rogan to catch on because you might get halfway through a Joe Rogan podcast with two and a half hours. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just listening to music. I normally got uh, a buddy or two with me. All the, all this season, man, uh, one of my prize peoples, uh, Blake Randall, he was in the PGF with me. So uh, he just got his blue belt from a different gym maybe like two or three months ago but he started training with me like six or seven months ago and uh he's just he he's he was with me every weekend because uh he was competing in the pgf2 as i said but uh so him and his dad were always in the car with me and uh my buddy luke too so we're just listening to music talking you know just how it goes i think i probably i'm um, curious i think i think i i think obviously everybody has that anxiety before they compete but i um I like to get that anxiety out of the way um, beforehand. You know, I like to, I like to think about every single way I can lose, and in the most embarrassing ways you can think of by the worst people who shouldn't beat me. And then, like when I get to step up to the mat, it's like I've already like felt that anxiety. I've already felt what it feels like to lose to somebody I shouldn't lose to, or get caught slipping in something stupid. You know, and so it just. That's just always been my way. I always just think of every bad possibility that could happen and go ahead and get that feeling and that thought out of the way so I can do what I do and I step on the mat and finish people. It's beautiful. I mean, obviously, you had some real highlights over uh, the course of the many weeks that that was going on. I do want to get back to that. You mentioned music, though, and now you're going with competitors and uh, fellow folks who are competing in this style and this format. Is there a hierarchy to the music selection process? For example, if you say Metallica and the blue belt says, uh, I don't know, man, I'm kind of feeling something else. Do you outrank them and do you pull that rank or how does this work? Is it a collective idea? Um, my blue belt actually had his headphones in most of the time. Like every time Blake, he, he always had his headphones in most of the time listening to what I assume was his own music. Everybody's got their own thing, man. Um, I don't think they even had the balls to even say something to me. Like, it's just like, I, you know what I mean? It's not like they are scared of me or anything, but it's like, they probably just didn't want to be like, Hey, would you like change this or play something else? You know, they're going to let, they're going to let me do my thing. You know, it's, um, I'm dry. I, right, I drove every time too. I wasn't even a rider. I was, I drove the whole time. So I'm sure they weren't even questioning it. That was my next question, because for me on road trips, I always defer to whoever's driving. And if I'm shotgun, shotgun comes with a lot of responsibility. you got to put on the right music. So, you know, the whole trip could be marred if you don't have a good shotgun. So I guess the question is, what is the most embarrassing song that you are playing in route to competition? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, most embarrassing song I play to competition. I don't know, man. I don't have a real answer for that. I don't think any, any of the songs I listen to are embarrassing. Um, Interesting. I don't know. I uh, I came out to uh, Party in the USA by uh, – who sings that? Uh, Miley Cyrus. I came out to Party by in the USA by the esteemed Miley Cyrus, of course. Yeah, I came out to that into my fir in uh, my first tag team jiu-jitsu match with my buddy Billy like a month and a half ago. That might have been a little embarrassing, but I, <laughs> I thought it was funny. I mean, listen, dude, it's partying in the USA. I don't know how you get more patriotic than that. So uh, our our best person out there, when Miley Cyrus, is, is putting it down for America. I would ask you this, though. So I know that you have many weeks of competing. Can you narrow down perhaps the three best moments, in your opinion, from PGF? So if people didn't go out there and watch it, what are three moments they need to immediately go out there and watch? Um. That's a hard one too, man. I feel like I, I had a lot of highlight reels, and you know, I'm I face a lot of a lot of blue belts, quite a few white belts, 
Um, not as many purple, brown, or blacks, you know. Um, so when I say my highlight over a white belt or a blue belt, and and I was really proud of that. A lot of people will think, well, blah blah, that was just a white belt or a blue belt. But um, I think some of my harder matches I had were against uh, white belts and blue belts. Um, but that being said, I had. Are you talking about a specific moment or just matches, like three different matches? I love for you to kind of paint a scene because I look through your clips and I was trying to keep up as much as I could every single week. And there were some weeks where I just wouldn't see it, but I would see a highlight or two. And I think the intriguing thing about it is like when I see a white or a blue belt step up on this kind of competition, I have more respect for them competing than other people who cry for opportunities, but don't take them. So it, it's not a matter of saying like, oh, fuck those guys. It's like, yo, they yeah, took yeah. advantage of them. Yeah, mad respect to a off. lot of them, man. We, they, they knew that they were coming in there and in the famous words of BMAC that they were going to get fucking dunked on, man. Like <laughs> there's going to be some slam dunks that are happening in this PGF. And you see me do a bunch of them, man. I dunked on a ton of fools over the PGF. But, so but getting back to, your, getting back to the answer. People, um, yeah. Yeah, so getting back to the answer. um, I think my performance against Mike Ritchie um, was great, man. I I really went out there and and tried to beat people at what they were good at, like try I, and not even what they were good at, but what I was bad at. Um, my wrestling's fucking awful. Never been a wrestler. Um, just in the last year, have I really like kind of tried to focus on it? And the last six months, really been working on my seated wrestling, like off of my ass. And I think I showed a really good version of what my game is and what it's evolving into with Mike Ritchie. And uh, I had I had a few transitions there where I came up from supine to seated and like hit some ankle picks and uh, some double Koichi sweeps that led in some ankle picks and some Ashigurami entries um, that I really, that I really liked a lot. So I actually, I posted a breakdown of uh, that sequence actually on my Instagram of that one specifically. Um, if you ever get the chance, go watch that. You'll know what I mean. Um, I really, I set up, I set up everything off of some butterfly sweeps and uh, got me into the legs. And I think either maybe one time I used Ashigurami, just like some single leg X stuff to come up and sweep and hit the takedown and come on top. And then, one time I hit, I think it was a double Koichi sweep to an ankle pick that uh, ended up in his full guard. But uh, I really, I really enjoyed those moments. That was probably my number one. Um, okay, okay, I'm going to give you a chance to think about the other two in a second. Yeah, yeah. But I did want to ask this because you were mentioning that one of the things that really excited you about the opportunity for the PGF in particular was the fact that you got to try out some new shit. So that you said, you know what, hey man, I want to go out there. I'm sure you probably wanted to make a statement by doing a new game and a new evolution of it and kind of displaying that for an audience. Was that kind of the game plan as you were coming into this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there hadn't been any tournaments going on because of Corona. And man, I was just in the lab. Like, I uh, I won't name who, but I had a good buddy. He's one of the best grapplers at 170 pounds a day. I had him come through for a seminar, and uh, it was the first time I had met him. Somebody else linked me up with him, and he he showed up at my gym. Um, the day he was supposed to teach a seminar, it snowed. It never snows here, and it was like almost a half a foot on the ground that morning, and nobody showed up to it. It was just like me and a few people. And But I had him. He, he stayed for like three or four days, and uh, he gave me – he gave me a lot of uh, instructional DVDs on a, on a USB flash drive. And uh, it really, really changed my game. Um, I really started getting into the instructionals and uh, studying tape. And I turned into a different grappler. This was probably like nine or 10 months ago, almost a year, probably 11 months ago. Wow. And that's pretty dope, dude. Uh, that's really interesting. So you were saying from that moment, you had this access to a treasure trove of new information. And you said, why the fuck not? Why not start taking some of this and seeing what you can implement? Absolutely, man. And I think 
I think anybody can do that with those instructionals. Uh, the top guys, I think you can, if you've already got an established mindset for the game, if you watch these instructionals, man, um, it's literally just like it's the scientific method, especially if you got a gym under you. It's like you, you learn this shit and you, you implement it a little bit and you start teaching it. And even if you're teaching it wrong, even if like right off the bat, you're like, oh, why isn't this working? And you might have taught something wrong. Now you have a, a room full of variables. You know, you have a room full of variables that are like drilling it and doing it. And you're sitting back watching it and you're watching what works and what doesn't work. And things are clicking in your head. Um, it was really just trial and error. It's just really all it is. It's like watching and studying and then trial and error on the mats through like teaching it to people. And I really, I really think I'm a hundred times better than I was a year ago. That's spectacular, man. All right. And I mean, I, I understand that there have been a couple of days where I've taught something to my intermediate friends or, you know, just around my, my, my group of cronies, if you would. And then maybe yeah. about a week later, nah, nah, you know what? I'm done with that. I don't like that anymore. I tested it out. Here's an easier way. And they all go, oh, okay. Dude, I go, dude, the I'm reason why ashamed. I do this is there's, there's yeah. a lot of people who will be ashamed to be like, not want to correct their errors. They're like, no, I'm right. I'm always right. Um, you'll learn real quick in the grappling game that you're never right. Realistically, <laughs> it's always something I mean, better out there. The hard part is, is that if they know their worth, they might've tried it out and experienced something similar. So a lot of the times it's probably one I of the best things think, you can do for your jujitsu or whatever you're doing. Realistically, yep. I don't care what it is, what sport it is. It's to be like, all right, I'm, I'm not right about this. Like maybe, maybe I should be a little open to like different ideas and stuff. You know, I can't always yeah. be right. <laughs> I mean, I love the fact that when sometimes I bring him back, I just go, guys, I was misinformed last week. I know I said put the foot here. We're not about that life anymore. And I think that there's an appreciation from them that I'm not willing to bullshit them, that at the very least I go, listen, guys, you could probably do wrong. this wrong for a year, and then you're going to hate me. But now we're all on the same page. So that's my thing. All right, I need two more moments. And they don't even have to be yours because, again, I know it is – very interesting to kind of condense a week uh, or like 16 weeks of material into just two or three moments. But what I'm trying to do is I want people to understand what made this unique and special because, as you mentioned, during Corona, there were no tournaments. And Brandon's, I guess, genius was saying, hey, listen, how do I serve my community? And I think that's the best way to approach this giant problem with the most realistic results. Yeah, I feel you. Where do, where do you want me to start on that? Just my next two moments or? Yep. Whatever you got on those next two, if you've got one cool. off the top of your um, head, that's cool. I, uh, I had a beautiful back take off of right off the bat on, uh, this kid named Noah. I think he's like 16 or 17 years old, but he's a solid blue belt in BMX gym and gives anybody a tough role. He's a super, super tough kid. But, um, Again, I worked some uh, always integrating a butterfly and upper body, lower body transitions. I um, tacked his upper body and he postured up out of it and stood up a little bit, which led me to single leg X and the reap led me up to his back. Um, a little more seated wrestling stuff. I kind of came up off of it, just off of him turning away from me and uh, got to the back and then I actually didn't, didn't finish on the back. I, as soon as I got on the back, I had it locked in. He ended up slipping out of it, but he turned into me and I triangled him. But that, again, that sequence from seated to uh, just the seated wrestling stuff, like coming up and coming up off my ass to get on top or take the back, um, that was another good moment for me. I really liked that, that transition. And then my third one, um, I think I would have to say it was when I won the thousand dollars at the uh, it during the regular season because you know there was a season in the final tournament at the end of the top sixteen people, but um the I, I had a match left after this match, so I could have won this match that I'm about to talk about and then lost the next match and I still would have been the first place in like in in the points and got the thousand dollars. So it was my second to last match of the season. And against a college wrestler in blue belt under BMAC. And I got him in like 15 seconds with a triangle. It was just real quick, real easy. And uh, it was just a good, 
good feeling knowing that I executed right there quick and won that thousand dollars. That was a fifteen second thousand dollar submission. So that was a lot of fun. That's cool. What was the the surrounding like for that final uh, thing? Because I could see only elements of it. Did you guys have an audience? Um, if so, talk, what so was the vibe the like at that finale at the end? The tournament the after finale, the yes. over. Yes, um, there there couldn't have been more than a, a hundred people there. Um, the stage, I know you watched it. The stage and everything was set up really nice. It was it was a really good show, but the crowd wasn't very big. Um, I think it was, it was definitely a, an interesting night for me. Um, there's a lot of, lot of hype on me and a lot of weight on my shoulders to come in here and do what I, what I said I was going to do. And it was, it was, it was, it was interesting for sure, man. I enjoyed it a lot. I also want to get an idea of, you know, doing something for X many weeks, a lot of the times you get the vibe of like an ultimate fighter sort of a thing because there's a commitment. Sure. You don't live in a house, but it's always having a presence for a certain number of weeks. It's going into my world, being on TV. What did that experience feel like to you to have something that you knew you were going to have a little bit of internet TV time every single week to showcase your art? Um, man, I made some cool friends while I was back there. Um, we really had that, like you said, like that ultimate fighter type vibe. Like we ended up bonding and spending more time with each other than people normally do at any other type of tournament or anything else you see. So I got to know quite a few of them, uh, pretty good and become good friends with them. And then, you know, like you had your clicks too. So like you just, it was so weird. It's just like, uh, human behavior and like, say how we've always been. It's just like right off the bat, you see how the cliques were formed and like who were they, who who they were formed around, and who talked to each other and who didn't. Um, overall, everybody was really really cool with each other, but you could tell that everybody had split off into their little cliques. And who knows what everybody was talking about behind closed doors, you know? Because like uh, there wasn't much filming of like us hanging out, but there was a lot of talking going on. You know, there was a lot of conversation between different people about other people and stuff like that you know so it was it was cool man it seems like there's almost a show behind the show that we maybe didn't get to see but maybe in future seasons we might no doubt man me and me and bmac have been plotting real hard man like this is going to be this is going to be the wwe of grappling but with real grappling hold on it's like let's be very clear y'all have to clear (laughs) that through me and here's the reason why. I have worked for years, and Brandon knows this. Brandon's participated in a few of my my genius ideas here. But we have dedicated a portion of our lives for the past six years to a segment called WWE BJJ. And if he is going to take any of that intellectual property, that money is coming straight back this way. So <laughs> I would I would caution you on the phraseology, sir. <laughs> That's funny. I did not know you did anything like that. You'll have to send me a link to some of that stuff. I'd love to watch it. Oh, bro. Here's the thing. I I I really like the, I love the idea. Go ahead. Oh no. The reason why I bring it up and, and sorry to interrupt, but it's the reason is very clear is that Brandon's participated in those videos. So ages ago, (laughs) it all started with me saying, you know, Hey man, I grew up loving professional wrestling and I would have somebody put me in an arm bar. And I was like, well, if I touch the wall mat, you got to let go, right? Like, I feel like that's a fair thing. That's a rope break, dude. You can't do that. And, uh, you know, if I ever put somebody in an Oma Plata, I was like, this is essentially a crippler crossface. Like, why don't I do this? And people go, if you do that, you will not have friends in any training room. And I said, okay, understood. So uh, we we in a pro wrestling room. I mean, no, it's just in our jiu-jitsu room. And I just always said, like, if somebody teaches a move, I could always come up with the pro wrestling variation of that move. And so people started saying, they're like, I'm not afraid of your Kimura, your armbar, any of that, Raph. I'm actually afraid you're going to put me in a Boston crab. I am more nervous about that happening than literally anything in the world. So, you know, and and I, I will do it occasionally to fans of professional wrestling or goofballs if they're getting yeah. lazy but like to civilians who've never watched it and don't care i never bring it up but every once in a while yeah. i was like i'll pull it out and they'll be like did you just put me in a figure four and i'm like yes it's also a heel hook at this <laughs> point so you're gonna pick your poison here but yes i think that's <laughs> great to have some theatricality to it because 
Brandon is so good at doing the commentating, but I feel like in order to get attention, you always have to have a little bit of secret sauce to get people really interested. So I'm all about that life, man. Dude, absolutely, man. Um, I think I think we're gonna build like good drama. That's gonna be like the the main thing of it. But with like people gotta be in on the drama too, you know. It can't be like a, a real drama situation, but there has to be like that little that little thing in the back of everybody's head, like we know this is this is real and well the grappling's real at least, but we know like what we're doing here is to promote and uh make some drama happen and get people interested and want to watch, you know? I mean, I'm seeing it a little bit more and more in the way that you're doing your social media, you know? I mean, you, you got a little swag to you, and I, I, I appreciate it. And again, as Dude, a pro wrestling fan, I, I kind of... I did, I, not, I not to sound conceited or anything, I think my Instagram should be should be way bigger than it is, man. Um, <laughs> I, uh... Especially if you, like, watch my comments, man. I think just if people seen, like, what I commented on stuff, man. I comment on Gordon shit every day, dude. I'm constantly, like, I'm constantly telling them I want them to start an OnlyFans. And I've been commenting on Gordon stuff that if I beat him in a no-gi, no no-time limit match, that he has to give me the discount code to Sonny's OnlyFans. <laughs> I mean, you know what, dude? It's funny, and I think that's the it's nice funny. part. Because don't forget, that's how Gordon essentially talked his way into getting higher-profile matches. So no he's doubt, got man. I really it. don't know anybody doing it like me. Like, uh, like Gordon did it, and like now I'm doing it. Like, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that like are good enough to face Gordon, but they they won't go after him. Like, like who? Like, I uh, there's probably I'm probably not even in the top hundred of nogi grapplers in the united states and but i'm gonna get hop and attention behind me to where people want to watch me face court that's a fact i've got some momentum behind me and i just don't think anything's gonna stop me from getting there now that's what's up i mean again it's got to be that perfect belief in self i'm not interested in grapplers who aren't believing in themselves at a certain Dude, point I, i'm gonna be like what am i gonna do with you I'm gonna beat Gordon. Like I like he can watch this. He can he'll know who I am. But I'm gonna beat him. Um, and I truly believe that because I don't think there's maybe but ten people on this planet who really think that they can beat him. There's I think there's more people on this planet that can beat him if they tried. Um, but there's probably only ten people on this planet that think they can, and I'm one of those motherfuckers. That's what's up. All right, let's continue this on right now. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. You've also mentioned to me that you will be doing the return of PGF, and that is 225 and under. So when is that going to start recording, and how did that come about for you? Um, I think it starts in the end of January. Maybe the last week of January is when they're going to do the combine, and that's when they like get together and get stats on you. Um. And then I think the first week of it is in February. But, um, man, I mean, as soon as Brandon said he was doing a 225 afterwards, when I came into the PGF, I was walking around at like 201, 202, 203 even, and uh, making that cut to 194.1 every week. It was real easy for me. I can fluctuate weight down like that real easy. And uh, But um, as soon as... As soon as he said something about two twenty five and under, man, I was like, I'm taking that money too. He was talking about it was like it was like a few weeks into the season. He uh, said that at the finale that he was going to do that four man tournament uh, to crown the two twenty five champ. And I immediately, when he just told me about it, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm in. And he's like, Oh no, you can't do it. I was like, What the fuck do you mean I can't do it? He's like, You're competing that night. And I was like, So I was like, Crown me the double the double champ. But he wouldn't let me, so. Well, here's the good news. That's a good compromise. So now you get the opportunity to do something even more fun and more highlights uh, to follow, oh. I guess, in the second season, you know? No doubt. And, I, and the number one thing is that there's just even more, like, there's going to be more hate because I'm going to talk shit the whole season. And especially leading up before you, the, the season even starts, I'm talking shit. And there's just going to be a lot of haters that are like, Elijah can't take these 225ers. There's going to be a few bigger names in it. Uh Jitsu might come. You know, I've been calling out Daniel O'Brien forever. He might show up. Um, there's going to be some bigger names in it, and there's just going to be a lot of hate and doubt, and uh, I'm going to absolutely run through everybody I get my hands on. 
So it's going to be fun. I mean, you kind of nicknamed yourself the bad guy. Is that some kind of moniker? And how long have you been this guy? Did you always grow up being this guy to kind of present yourself with new challenges? Because to me, you're wonderfully nice, but I'm not competing against you. So I'm just curious where this comes from. Dude, you know, I'm I'm almost good friends with just about everybody I've ever competed with, man. We're always cool. Um, and Brandon really started, like, throwing the nickname to me. Um, and it's just like, like you said, my social media, man, I'm, I fucking troll people and, and I talk a lot of shit, but it's definitely nothing but mad respect at the end of the day. But I've just been that guy that whether people like to admit it or not, they like, they hate that they love to see me win. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just been that way for a minute. Um, just had a lot of hate for a long time and it's just, I don't know. It just, it just fit me really well. As soon as he started calling me the bad guy, I love it. I, I think the mustache, especially when I, when I compete, that definitely plays a role in it. People fucking hate the mustache, man. Really? They do. People tell me all the time, they're like, you, sh you should shave that. I don't like it at all. And I'm like, that just like encourages me to do it more. Even I women. Don't... Women will be like, shave it. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I mean, I'm glad that's the conversation that happens. It may explain a few things. I would say to you this, because you mentioned that you, you have an online presence and there was one thing that jumped out at me, and I think this is visual, so people who listen to the audio version may not get it. I need you to kind of narrate what it is that I'm about to put on here. So this <laughs> now will go to you. <laughs> oh, God. So will you narrate <laughs> what exactly is in, I don't know, the lower corner of the ab section in a tattoo form on your body? <laughs> Oh man, I got that tattoo when I was, uh, I had just turned 17. I was working at Taco Bell and one of my dumbass friends, he, uh, came through the drive-thru and was like, I told him it was my birthday and he was like, dude, let me give you a free tattoo for your birthday. And I was like, I was like, shit. Okay, cool. And after I got off work, I went over to his house and I had this other idea I was going to get on my shoulder and, uh, he told me I could look through his book while he was getting his stuff together to like get his gun ready and stuff. And I seen that and I was trying to get a much smaller version of it on my chest. And he was like, nah, dude, let's do it really big on your side, on your ribs. And I was like, he somehow taught me into it. I was probably really high. And yeah, it's a naked stormtrooper, man. Honestly, the dude's not not any good at tattoos either, so it's kind of it's kind of fucked up. I was just astounded that it's a thing that exists because at first I thought, "Am I just seeing that? Like, have I watched Star Wars too many times that now I'm just putting tattoos on random people?" And I said, "No, that's the real thing I'm seeing in front of me." So. I guess the answer is, are you a Star Wars fan? Is that way it spoke out to you? I'm not I'm not any kind of like super hardcore Star Wars fan or anything, but I do like Star Wars. I enjoy it. Um I'm not a geek about it. I don't I don't know a fuck ton about it, but I do enjoy uh, the Star Wars theme and and the movies and stuff. Okay, well that I guess that's a good start. I just felt for I you. I mean, I like Star Wars and I like naked chicks, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's got to be a very confusing thing for, you know, a Star Wars stormtrooper to uh, then be there. Because I guess the thing is, is that, you know, if something happens with them, just based on the way they look, they're going to miss wherever they're shooting. So that, just that saying, whole picture is a vibe, though, man. I um, you would be astonished at how many people like will see my tattoo and be like, oh, shit, I've seen I've seen that before. Show me a picture. Be like, oh, look at this picture. It's just another naked girl with some kind of Star Wars helmet on. It's not always the same, but people make stickers of it and stuff. Yes. I've seen it like countless amounts of times, and I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Well, I mean, it puts you into elite company here, sir. So <laughs> I definitely, I definitely had a good laugh at it when I saw it. I was like, you know what? I can't give this kid too much shit about that. I might be able to give you some shit about something else here. And this is something <laughs> that I expected better of you. So please narrate what's going on in this video so that people who are listening to this on the audio version kind of I know. Think I, I think I know what you're about to put up here, but okay. You know what I'm about to put up here? Okay. So please yeah. tell people. Yeah, I knew you were about to put that up there. Because I spilt it. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, that's just that's me and my buddy Billy Swanson. He's a pro MMA fighter around here. That's me and him. Uh, shotgunning either White Claws or Trulies. Maybe White Claws. I've really never been a big shotgunner. But, I was uh, going to ask you: Have you ever shotgun a beer before? Yeah, not really, man. That was probably one of my first. Maybe when I was younger, I've never been a big beer drinker, but mm-hmm. I did really get into the seltzers when like uh, quarantine started. Maybe a little bit before quarantine. But around quarantine and when it started hitting uh, spring, I just really got into those seltzers. Me and my buddy were drinking a bunch of them. We were just fucked up at the pool one day. We were like, hey, let's white claw. Let's shotgun a white claw and video it. <laughs> well, bless your souls. I'm, I'm glad that you guys get the opportunity to be <laughs> the coolest white girls in the crowd. So, oh, man, yeah. Uh, Dude, he's actually uh, he's he's a bad guy too, man. Me and him are really going to start branding ourselves because he trains with me every day. We're actually probably about to open a gym together down the like probably like twenty five minutes down the road from my gym right now, uh, kind of in his neck of the woods. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really going to start advertising us as the bad guys. I think I'm me and B Mac are actually going to start some some gear, like apparel stuff, and really start branding me and him as the bad guys. Good for you, That's man. What, I mean, we're just are, man. We're the bad guys, dude. We like to get fucked up and go compete the next day or go train the next day. Uh, we just like to have a good time. Well, Elijah, how old are you? 25. Yeah, all right. You can still do that for a few years. After a while, <laughs> it's a little harder to do that. Oh, it's definitely you. getting harder to do, man. Just here in like the last year, it's uh, definitely been weighing on me heavier. I'm like, God damn, I'm feeling, feeling beat. Yeah, I hate to tell you it was the ghost of Christmas future, but, you know, some shit's going to happen in the future that's going to make uh, competing the next day a little bit harder. Let's talk about this. Speaking of competing in hard situations, you were competing over at the Sabatero. Tell me a little bit about that experience, sir. Um, it's probably my fourth or fifth time going and com- competing with Josh down there. But uh, I always love it because Josh and me are – Josh and I are really good friends. And uh, he was, had been helping me run my social media a little bit and give me advice and uh, helping me get on some bigger stuff. And it's 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 always a pleasure to go do go do stuff with Josh. Like I um I told myself after the PGF was over, um I wasn't going to compete till the next season because I've had a hurt shoulder. And uh, I'm just on the internet on Wednesday, and uh, I see Brian Brown, Tenth Planet Jacksonville, post something about needing uh josh needing a 185 pounder uh for a match with a black belt and uh, i was just like i'll take it fuck it and <laughs> drove down there um uh, friday morning and competed saturday and uh then i taught a seminar at josh's school the next day and uh, it was just a blast i always enjoy being down there in tampa with my boy Good for you, man. And can I pitch something real quick? Because I think I figured out what to do with your tattoo. What you should do is you should take a picture with the tattoo next to Josh LaDuke because he's about as close as we're going to get to a Jabba the Hutt lookalike. So at the very (laughs) least, you get two of those images superimposed together. That's hysterical, man. Uh, I hope Josh is watching. He's a bitch. I mean, here's the thing. What's he going to do about it? But this is my no, my roommate Brandon. This is my my wrestling coach. He says fuck Josh too. Oh, absolutely. We just became instant friends, sir. So I'm <laughs> glad that's what you have to say about him. He went well, he went down to Sapatero this weekend with me, and uh, I just mm-hmm. gave him his blue belt like uh, last week. Um, yeah, a week ago today, last Monday, and uh, he went down and did a 140 or a 170 pound bracket. He's only like 145 or 150. But he went and did a 170-pound bracket. His first match was against this really good purple belt. Um, he lost to him by armbar, and then he won his second match for third um, against one of Josh's guys. But uh, <laughs> So I was coaching him, and Josh was coaching his dude in that last match. And uh, Josh was just talking shit the whole time. And Brandon ended up subbing him with a mounted triangle, um, something I taught him. And uh, as soon as he got up, he turned around and flipped Josh off. It's like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> My first words I ever spoke to Josh, I was at a current uh, 70 pound tournament at uh, Brian Brown's gym in Jacksonville, probably like three years ago. And I was in the middle of a match with one of his dudes, Werther, who he fucks with a lot. And uh, he was really close to me and he was like coaching Werther, telling him some shit. And he was like talking shit about me, like saying he's, he's doing bad at this, get him with this. And I just like 
turned around and I was like, shut the fuck up, Chris Pratt. <laughs> and like, we were like best friends immediately. Right after that, he was, me and him had just been cool. That's great, man. Yeah, I mean, Josh and I, we, we do a whole bunch of, uh, you know, uh, stuff together via video where I'll do interviews. And many times he likes to kind of credit himself as a co-host of my show. And I say, you don't have any talent. So I need someone, if they're going to take responsibility for this show, to have talent. You provide nothing that I couldn't pay a bum off the street to do. So, uh, you know, if you really want to make sure that you close that joke, make sure you tell them, you're like Chris Pratt if he just gave up in life. Because that's Dude, really what I, I call him Tubby Chris Pratt. <laughs> this is his name. Shut the <laughs> fuck up, Tubby Chris Pratt. Well, I just wanted to uh, start going back because I want to get to the little bit of the, the origin story for you. You mentioned, you know, wrestling has been coming together now, but that you didn't really start off with that. Where does the martial arts journey begin for you, sir? Um, it started in my attic. Um, I lived, I pretty much lived in an attic growing up my whole life. It's like carpeted. I mean, most of the time it was like me and my brother up there, but, um, just a, just a big kind of open area with carpet and me and my buddies, I was probably in like eighth grade. We were just watching UFC and like, we started doing jujitsu on our carpet up there. And I probably did that for a solid year just with my buddies maybe a year, year and a half, year, two years. And um, then my older brother, Zane, he was in high school and the high school resource officer there was like a purple or a brown belt in jujitsu. And he would have little classes like once or twice a week after school and then on the weekends. And it wasn't even really classes. It was like we would all get together and stretch in a circle and then – we would roll. He wouldn't really show much. We were just rolling kind of. And so my brother brought me with him and that's, that's, I was probably 14, 13, 14. When I first met Stacy Meeks, he's a black belt under uh, Higa Machado. Now um, him and Matt Harris met them and I probably did jujitsu with them for, so I was 13 or 14, probably till I was about 17, maybe. Um, and I quit for a year or two and came back when I was like 19. And when I came back, they had opened a gym. So beforehand, there was no gym. It was us meeting at an old high school in town and using some old wrestling mats that they had stored away. And when I got back into it, they had opened a gym across the street from a business that I had had opened with my buddy. I actually opened a vape store. So I was selling like liquid and devices and stuff. And they opened a gym right next, like right across the street from me. And I was like, Oh, I have no reason not to be training. now. I had like not trained in like two years. And, uh, I was like, I have no reason at all not to be training. He's right across the street from me and they have an actual gym. And uh, so I got back in it, and I stuck with it ever since. Let's stick on this. Why did you end up taking a break? Um, I was a young kid. I was partying. Um, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was uh, smoking a lot of weed, partying a lot. So then that then follows to the next question, which is what brought you back? Uh, I mean, I've just all, I always had a passion for it. I just like kind of straight off. And then when it was just right across the street from my business, it was just boom. I actually fell back in love with it because I'd never trained in the gi before. Cause it was beforehand. It was all no gi. Um, and I'd never, I honestly, I didn't even know what a gi was. I'd never heard of a gi. And then when I, when they moved that gym, across the street from my business they were doing gi jiu-jitsu and i was just like so intrigued by it i was like what the fuck is this i've been doing jiu-jitsu forever and didn't even realize people did it in a gi and so i put on the gi and fell in love with it and within like three or four months of training with them they gave me my blue belt and then i just went hardcore as a blue belt i competed i probably had i might be over exaggerating but i might have had 200 matches when i was a blue belt 
Um, I was traveling everywhere to do like Alabama tournaments, Georgia tournaments, any Naga, New Breed, eight, uh, AGF, um, anything I could find. I'd enter every bracket I could. I'd even I'd even borrow uh, upper belts from <laughs> one of my coaches so I could go enter higher divisions because I was just scrubbing blue belts. They would they would like hand me a purple belt and just like let me put it on and uh, go compete. And uh, did, it, did anybody then ever catch you with that though? Like, did anybody uh, yeah. ever stop and go, Why is this blue belt wearing a purple belt? He was just a blue belt maybe <laughs> a week ago. <laughs> no, actually, I never got caught. Um, only time I ever had trouble is I had brought the purple belt with me and I didn't put it on, I just kept my blue belt on and I'd entered a purple belt division. And as soon as we step on the mats, my, com- my competitor uh, was like, What the fuck is this? Like, he's a blue belt, and uh. Then the dude came over there and, like, I guess it was the owner of the tournament. He's like, you can't be doing that. And I was like, and it was just kind of stupid, so he didn't let me do it. I had to go into the blue belt division, which I scrubbed everybody. I was like, you should have just let me enter the purple belt division. It would have been better. I mean, I, I like that. I like the fact that at a very, very early part of your jiu-jitsu career you're already looking for those extra opportunities i think it makes sense that you would take every opportunity thrown at you for the pgf i do want to ask you this though at what point do you decide this is going to be the career because if you've already started with the entrepreneurial business at a very young age to really make the transition into doing jujitsu full-time is a choice you know you you don't get the spoils of other sports where you make money in a huge way. So there has to be a huge passion for it. At what point do you know that passion exists? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure when I, when it clicked that I wanted to quit trying to make money elsewhere and just open, are you talking about opening a gym or just like grappling in general, just like trying to make, make it off that. Both because I like the idea that grapplers do it as a hobby and still pursue other stuff outside of it. But there becomes a moment where you say, okay, not only am I going to go compete as much as I can, but maybe I'm going to have a gym. Maybe I'm going to be an instructor. Maybe I'm going to you know, do privates and seminars and that sort of thing. And that's going to be more of my income than making it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so I started back jujitsu with him in the gi when I was like 17. Maybe I think I quit or no, no. I started back with them when I was like either 18 or 19 and I trained with them for like a year or two. I, I was, I was 20 when I moved out to Oregon. So trained with them for a little bit, maybe a year and a half or something. And when I turned right after I turned 20, I had a friend that asked me if I wanted to go out for the summer and, uh, work on this weed farm and i was like i was like you know what fuck it i am i was actually about to start college here in tennessee i was going to go get an outdoor education degree and my, one of my coaches matt harris he like the dean of this college had owed him a favor for something because my my buddy matt is like high up in the education system or he was high up in the education education system in the area and um he had me a full ride scholarship to this college and I was about to, I was about to go there. I was about to dedicate and sign paperwork and stuff and get enrolled in there. And, uh, then I decided to move out to Oregon and work on this weed farm instead. But I was so excited to go work on this weed farm. I didn't even look up any jujitsu places <laughs> before I moved out there to see if there was anything out there. I was just like, there's gotta be jujitsu out there. I didn't even, didn't even look into it hardcore. But when I moved there, um, a city called Grants Pass, I was like 35, 40 minutes away from, there was a 10th planet gym there, Andrew Alexander. And, um, I really took it to the next level right there. Um, before I had moved out to Oregon, I was traveling a little bit and training with BMAC. And, uh, I had met Sean Applegate a few times at some tournaments and I was on his shit, like studying his stuff and talking to him a lot. And then I moved out there and got linked up with Andrew and just really up my game out there, man. Um, I got, I was able to grapple with them like really consistently for two and a half, three years while I was out there living out there. And they had a real big gym, just a lot of competitors in there. And I just got a lot of roles and learned a lot of really good shit from Andrew. 
and started beating some good people. And I knew around that time, it was like, so I moved out there when I was still a blue belt and I came back for a few months uh, when it wasn't season and had gotten promoted to purple belt for my gym out here. And then when I moved back there, I just got all these opportunities to grapple some better people because I had a purple belt, you know, nobody really wanted to, to fight a blue belt, but Andrew ended up getting me on submission underground. Um, fuck those guys. I'll go ahead and say that by the way. Um, they won't, they won't get me back on there. I've got two wins on there, but anyway, yeah, Andrew got me on SUG, um, had a match. I beat Eddie Jamrock. He's a really good Henzo Gracie, either Brown belt or black belt in the Portland area. Um, then I had a match with Riley, some Riley dude, he was a brown belt, but I had two good matches on there. One both of them, they won't, they won't hit me back up. They won't get me back on the show. But right around that time, man, I got my purple belt, got into some cool tournaments and some good promotions, and then I ended up beating Bill. I think I was a purple belt for about a year, and I ended up beating Bill Cooper at um, Akumite in Houston, Texas. I was like a last minute replacement. I had been, I had been home from oregon for the winter and i was about to head back out there i literally i was driving back out there and one of my buddies sent me a link and showed me a kumite post that someone had just dropped out of this 190 pound kumite and i was already driving through that area and i was like fuck it i'll do it and so last minute replacement when did it um ended up beating bill cooper in it he ended up winning the tournament because it was round robin so i won my first bracket and he, there were four different brackets, I think, and all the brackets were round robin. And then me and three other people, Bill Cooper, Vince Barboza, and some other dude, uh, all went to the finals bracket. And I beat Bill Cooper in the first match in 27 seconds. And then I got beat by the other two dudes, but he beat those two dudes. So he ended up winning the tournament. But I beat Bill Cooper that day. And then I, and, I didn't even know who Bill Cooper was, honestly. It was funny. Um, my buddy was like telling me when we got there, he was like, that's Bill Cooper. And I was like, who's Bill Cooper? And uh, since then, man, I really just like, I took it to the next level. I was like, okay, I'm good at this shit. Like, let's do this. That's pretty dope, man. Good for you. And I like hearing those, uh, those journeys because, you know, I can tell you so many 10th Planet people have the weed farm story. You just look at them and you say, you hooligans with your, you know, and the, you know. Yeah, Yo, you're I in L.A., like, bro. You know about that, man. Everybody smokes weed. I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, one of the guys who I, I work with now, just very casually was telling us, he's like, yeah, yeah, I do weed. You know, I don't do anything crazy anymore. Uh, cocaine was a long time ago. And I was like, bro, I'm eating lunch, man. Like. I didn't know that this was going to be the, uh, the conversation we were having here, but here we are. So, <laughs> yes, a lot of people have stories like that. I would tell you this, though. I think it's perfectly great that you found that calling, and obviously between people like Andrew Alexander, he's good people, but fuck him. Brandon McCatherine, amazing people, but fuck him too. Just amazing people that you're around that you've taken these opportunities and more importantly, you stepped to the, to the plate when it mattered, man. So I, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm glad you're doing what your passion is. And it sounds like big things are to come because I didn't know that you were in Tennessee. Exactly. I couldn't pinpoint it. But uh, when I did live out in Kentucky for a few years, I made many a trips out to Nashville and I very much appreciated my time there. So yeah, man, I, I'm in Chattanooga. It's uh, kind of right in between, uh, well, it's like a triangle, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, north and east of me is Knoxville, and then west of there is Nashville, and then I'm below that. But I love this area. Yeah, absolutely, dude. It's a, it's a great area, and I I do miss it on occasion because I, I had many great, great times over and You know, You know my boy Sean Applegate, man. He moved up from Gulf Shores, Alabama to Kennesaw, which is like North Atlanta. Um, the Marietta area, he moved up here like uh, maybe a year and a half ago. And uh, yeah, shout out to Sean Applegate. He is the fucking man. Um, I think he is one of the most brilliant minds in jiu-jitsu today, and I'm blessed to be able to be at his gym once a week. That's what's up. All right, dude. Well, here's what I'm going to do. 
I feel like this is something that we're going to see you do a bit, but I'm going to give you the floor right now to say whatever you want. Normally I tell people to plug their sponsors or plug their next match or whoever they want to shout out. But I realize there's a value in letting you talk because if you're the bad guy, I want to be able to see what you do with the floor. So sir, floor is all yours. Shout out, Um, do whatever you want. I've, I've only got one sponsor. Uh, at the moment, Matt Viper, he's been sponsoring me since the beginning of PGF. Shout out to him. Thank you. Um, I'll call out Daniel O'Brien again because uh, he's frustrating. He, uh, he's he been ignoring me, telling me I wasn't worth his time for a minute. But uh, he should show up to the PGF. Um, but I don't think he will. So shout out to him too. Show up at the PGF, get wrecked. Um other than that, I uh, I just really I appreciate you having me on, man. Um, it's cool that people know who I am. Um, I was that guy when I first started jiu-jitsu, even when I started getting good, that I didn't like – I wasn't on the social media. Um, I didn't know who people were. Like I said, I beat Bill Cooper, and I didn't know who he was. But now I'm on the social media, and people know who I am. I get messages from fanboys all the time. It's kind of a little weird, but – um. It's it's but it's super cool that people know who I am and getting me on some podcasts. Um, I appreciate it. Um, just climbing, man. Just like step after step, we're getting there. Well, I appreciate that, man. I mean, it's a reflection of your work, not mine. I just watch matches and I always get really hype. And like I said, dude, when I knew Brandon was putting something together, I got so happy because I know he's always working on the next thing. I think that. He is not only one of the nicest guys, but he's one of the most driven guys in jiu-jitsu, and he deserves all of his success. So when you get to see stuff like that and you get these opportunities for folks like you who may not have every single tournament coming out to the South, you make those opportunities, and with his reach, you get expanded opportunities for more people to see your jiu-jitsu. So that makes me super happy. And Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Getting the chat here is just the extra special bonus. Shout out to BMAC too, man. He's been a blessing. Um He's him and Sean Applegate have stuck with me like through thick and thin. Uh, when I wasn't, uh, when I wasn't, uh, on top of my game and like living right and training like I should have been and seeing them like I should be, um, and not acting right, you know, they've 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 stuck there with me and uh, helped me get to where I'm at today. And I feel like I've made a major leap in the last year, and uh, I think there's only better things to come from that. Um, yeah, um, Everybody watching, I'm up for seminars. I'll come. I'll come wherever in the country. Um, I'll do it. I'll do it for next to nothing too. Um, lo- I'd love to start teaching some more seminars and get my name out there. I feel like I've got some really good stuff to teach uh, between my reverse daily Hiva game, um, my triangle game from reverse daily Hiva, um, some of my passing, my leg logs. I feel like I've got a good, good little well-rounded game to teach people, and uh, I hope to be able to do lot, lots lots more in the future you hear that people buy low sell high get him now before while he's available dude absolutely, you guys keep man. him now he's gonna be too expensive in a few years if he keeps winning all these pgfs so get him while you can my <laughs> friends <laughs> hell yeah man all right well here's what we're gonna do man elijah i'm gonna close this bitch up i'm gonna say hi to you all Affair. I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Big congratulations on a wonderful season this year for PGF. I think that you made some really, really fun moments on the show and uh, do do respect uh, what you're putting out there, man. So big ups to you, bud. Thank you very much, homie. All right. So our thanks to Elijah. Before we get on out of here, a couple of quick reminders. Number one, come find us this weekend. We are doing a live stream for the Khabib and Justin Gagey fight. That's starting at 11 a.m. Best Coast time. That's right. It is early. That is the main card. That's not the prelims. That's the main card at 11 a.m. So we're going to do a fight companion. We're going to have a panel. We're going to do some fun stuff. If you haven't checked out the latest verbal tap, what's wrong with you? 432, we've got Keith Kikorian and Dan Tom giving you their predictions at a game of over under Kevin without Kevin. One last thing. Thing to remind you guys give us some love on social media at grappling hour and at verbal tap cast on all of the major platforms we're talking youtube facebook periscope twitch twitter and the instagrams and if you would do us a solid for both verbal tap and for grappling hour go to spotify give us a follow there and on apple podcasts give us a five star review five stars that's all we ask of you guys it's a lot of free content 
And before I get you on out of here, one last note before I say goodbye. I want to say thank you guys so much for tuning in. It is always a blast to talk with you. We'll have another episode of Grappling Hour next week. But until then, it's been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats. Eventually. <laughs>